Thank you to all of those of you who've brought your classic cars here, and uh, we want to say how much we appreciate that and uh, made it a really special event. And, and folks, if you, if you got here just as we were about to begin and were surprised because you'd forgotten about the classic car show, please do, after the service, go out and have a, a look and, and do, you know, thank the guys for bringing their cars. And actually, for the first 10 minutes or so after you leave here, there'll be just enough time for you to vote for your favorite car. Now, that's whatever you like about it. It needn't be the most expensive or the biggest or the shiniest. It might just be that it's yellow or something. <laughs> and uh, Andrew knows that my car is yellow. So, uh, yes, actually, you can't vote for my car. But vote for the one you like. And then at one o'clock, we're going to make a presentation. We've, we've got a check for 250 pounds to give to uh, f uh, that person, and they will choose the charity, the people charity of their choice. So, you know, Hope for Heroes or the local hospice or whatever. So it's a big deal. So please encourage them, thank them, and then, then vote. Okay, one or two quick notices, and then I'm going to get into my little talk today. Uh, could we take up the offering, please? If you're near the end of a road, just peer over the edge. If there's a basket there, pick it up. Put something in it, pass it along, unless you're a visitor, in which case just pass it along, don't bother to put anything in it. That'd be great. And uh, another little notice I just want to make, and that's that next Sunday, if you're here and if you're beginning to sort of wonder whether this might be the home for you, we're going to have a pub lunch after the second service, and uh, you can uh, wait in the auditorium, we'll, in the atrium rather. We will make a little bit uh, uh, more of an announcement then, but we do a subsidized pub lunch, and that's a chance for you to go and meet some new people and connect with some people. So uh, look out for that next Sunday. Okay, let me pray, and then we'll get straight into it. Father, I want to say thank you to you. I thank you, Lord God, for this, this series we're currently working through called Heroes. And thank you, Lord God, that your heart is for those who want to walk righteously. Your heart is for those who want to call you Father. And thank you that they're your heroes, and it's so good to hear that. And I pray now, Lord God, as I, I share these thoughts, that, Lord, you will, you will just use them, and that uh, I'll be engaging and entertaining maybe, but most of all, I'll be effective in your eyes. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So this series, Heroes, just to remind you, we're three or four weeks into it. You can catch up on the podcast if you missed one or two. I love this tagline verse. The godly people in the land are my heroes. Psalm 16, verse 3. That's from the New Living Translation. And, you know, we get presented with all sorts of celebrities and, uh, and, and people put on a pedestal whom we're supposed to admire and look to. But actually, you know, it isn't a superhero. Heroes in God's eyes don't have to wear green tights and... And, in, and capes, the people in the land, those who are trying to live righteously, trying to, to, to live for God, and maybe that's not been something you've done in the past, but you're trying to do now, those are the heroes. And, and I just love that sentiment, and that's what we're trying to communicate. And today, I want to say to you fathers, put your hand up if you're a father. Let's have a look at you. Come on, get that hand up. Well, I want to say to you, congratulations, fathers, you know, God bless you, all those who are trying to, you know, stay married to the same wife, you know, all of you who are trying to be good fathers to your kids, you know, all of those, who, you know, those years of unseen faithfulness, I know how hard it is, I've been married 40 years, believe it or not, it seems like 80, no, it seems like 20, and, um, and God bless you, give yourselves a clap. Let's hear it for the fathers. Okay. Now, today, as I've already pointed out, 
we have a car show going on here, and we've done this before, and I'm delighted at the turnout today. And, and in the motoring world, in the sort of classic car world, of course, we have a few heroes too. Some of you may even know who this hero is. That's Sir Sterling Moss. How many of you knew that, just out of interest? Oh, yeah, good. I, most of you. Sir Sterling Moss. He's 84 years old now, and he's a bit of a national institution. In fact, he appears in all sorts of things. And it's extraordinary, really, when you, when you realize or, or find out that his Formula One racing career finished in 1964, as long ago as that. He raced from about 19, early 1950s through to 1964, and he had a terrible accident at Goodwood, near Chichester. And he very nearly died. In fact, he was in a coma for a month, and he was paralyzed down the left side of his body for six months. When he finally regained his health, he got into a, a racing car, and he did about three laps or some, uh, one race, and he said, I'm not, I can't do that again. My nerve has gone. And actually, if you see some of those early black and white movies, and I've looked at one or two over the years, they drive at breakneck speed without seat belts, without crash bags, without parking sensors, without anything. <laughs> and it's astounding. Talk about nerves. But why is it that of all the sports celebrities, dear old Sterling Moss has stayed in the public image? I think one of the reasons is that he is a perfect gentleman. He really is. He is a delightful character. In fact, one of the best stories, one of my favorite stories about uh, Sterling Moss is that in 1958, he was racing against his arch rival, another British man, Mike Hawthorne. And he was actually in the running for the world championship. When he came across Mike Hawthorne, who had spun around on a corner, and his car's engine had stalled. Now, today, if that happened in a Formula One race, if it was you know, Vettel or Hamilton or whoever else, they would have just said, yeah, away, eat my dirt, you know, and off they go. But Sterling Moss sort of leant out the side of the window and yelled across to Mike Hawthorne, and he said, Mike, Mike, turn it around, roll it down the hill, bump start it, and then you can come back up, which is exactly what Mike Hawthorne did. He rolled it down the hill, bump-sided the car, and continued in the race. Now, in the event, the stewards decided they were going to disqualify Mike Hawthorne for driving against the flow of the traffic, even though there was no traffic at that precise moment. At that point, dear old Sterling Moss got up on his high horse, and he fought Mike Hawthorne's corner. It was quite a protracted thing. And in the end, Sterling's, Sterling Moss persuaded the organizers to not disqualify Mike Hawthorne, which meant that Mike Hawthorne picked up six, what did I forget, sorry, six points in that race. The significance of that is that at the end of that season, guess who was world champion? Not Sterling Moss. Mike Hawthorne, by one point, and the runner-up was Sterling Moss. And he did it with grace, and he did it with a spirit of sportsmanship. He did it with a gentlemanly manner. And that's, I think, why amongst the racing 
classic car fraternity, that and other reasons. That's why Sterling Moss is highly regarded. We highly regard quality. We highly regard gentleman sportsmanship. I love that story. In fact, I love it so much. You know what I'd, you know what I'd really love to do? I would really love to pay for each one of you to have Sterling Moss, who still races to this day, drive you up Goodwood Hill in his Porsche as a treat. Wouldn't that be a lovely thing to do? You can say you've been driven up the hill or round the bend by uh, Sterling Moss. So what, it is about, what is it about these classic cars that is so compelling to so many people? Do you realize, you may, I, I'm surprised at this myself, but the British Heritage uh, Institute for, for Historic Cars worked out that last year that the industry is worth four billion pounds a year. That is the size of the, of the industry and interest in this nation. It is absolutely huge. And in fact, all over the country, there are little workshops and houses and, and, and barns where people are restoring cars. You know, the, the red car out the front, as you go out and look to the right, there's a wonderful Triumph Dolomite with what they call a dicky seat, a, a seat in the boot. That was derelict for 45 years. 45 years, and then Dom restored it. And I think one of the things that I love about these cars is that whole redemptive thing. The fact that people are prepared to spend time, energy, and money working on something that is apparently, to everyone else's eyes, a hopeless case. And, hi, Faith. Hi. And uh, give Faith a clap. I don't know what for, but she was doing well there. But that's, I think, one of the things I like about it. It appeals to me that that whole redemptive thing, because I come before God, and I know I need some work. Anybody here feel they need a little work? And God, you know, God himself takes us, and he's the one who redeems us. He is the one that doesn't give up. He's the one that is not put off by the state of our lives. And I think as a minister of the gospel, that's one of the things that resonates for me. I mean, our little car out there, it's a yellow one, in case you didn't get that. Uh, Fliss and I, tomorrow, we will be going off to France. We do this every year, just for a few days. We take this little car off to France, and it's an adventure. And it really is an adventure. When it's going well, it's wonderful. It's the sun beats down on you. The wind's blowing through your hair. You're picking, you know, mosquitoes and bees out of your teeth, you know. And, uh, you know, you stop. You pull over to one side. We always have a picnic basket. And, you, you know, you, you have a little bit of brie, a little bit of, um, uh, you know, cheese and bread and grapes and a bottle or two of lemonade and... Um, it's wonderful, but it's always an adventure. It really is an adventure, and it's an adventure because it always doesn't run smoothly. I mean, I had an MGB, I brought it to the last one we had here, and that one I had to abandon on the side of the M25 and run down the hill as it caught fire. Um, you know, last year we had a, a fuel leak, and that was spraying fuel all over the place. On another occasion, I was driving around the periphery in France, around Paris, and the car was overheating, and that was quite, quite something. 
So these cars, delightful though they are to many of us, not everyone, but delightful though they are, you know, they are something that we invest our time and our energy and our money in. But would I put my trust in it ultimately? No. In fact, there's a lovely little verse in, in Psalm chapter 20. Let's just throw that up, Matt. It says this, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. You know, the chariots and the horses of the day, in biblical times, they were the hot hatch. You know, if you were somebody, if you were a wide boy, if you want to cause a bit of a stir, you got a fantastic chariot. The stories of David's son Absalom, and he got this fantastic chariot, and he had, you know, teams of horses, and he even had 50 runners to kind of run ahead and clear the way for him. He was charging around the countryside, you know, causing a bit of a stir. They... The chariots, the horses, they were the sports cars of the day. But the psalmist says this, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. There have been moments when I've driven off in one of, one of our cars that we've had at the time, and I've thought to myself, I am taking my life in my own hands here. Am I going to make it? And uh, I want to really say, you know, who are we putting our life Who's, you know, whose hands are we putting our life in? You know, as often happens two or three days ago, it's one, amazing how this happens really, but a friend of ours, Brenton Brown, who some of you may have heard of, he used to be the worship pastor at the, the uh, Oxford Vineyard, he sent us a little video clip that he did. And I, I want us just to watch this as I draw this talk to a close because, because it really does sum up who this Jesus is because it is Jesus who is the defining person in my life. Jesus who is the one through, who his eyes, he is the lens, the grid with which I do life and all that I uh, embrace and love. But see what you think, just sit back, it's about five minutes, watch this little DVD that Brenton sent us on, on Wednesday, Thursday. I think you'll enjoy it, thank you. Well, as the worship team come back up to join me, uh, I, I guess I really want to say one thing, ask a question. If there's a takeaway, this is my question for myself. You know, am I putting my life in my own hands? Is that actually a good idea? You know, do, I have all, do I have enough of the answers? Am I exercising faith and trust in the right things? You know, what am I spending my time, my energy, and my money on? Where am I pouring the best of me? And I, I want to ask you, you know, I want to invite you to actually consider, if you haven't already done this, putting your life in Jesus' hands. You know, we all take risks. Some of them are welcome, some of them are not so welcome. But if you're going to take a risk, take a risk on Jesus. Take a risk that he is who he said he is. Take a risk that he... He is the servant king. You know, one of the things, one of the many things I love about Jesus is this, that you know, when he came into town, when he came into Jerusalem, on, when the whole world was singing his praises, he didn't choose to come in a chariot with horses, but he came humbly and riding on a donkey. I can relate to that kind of hero. I can relate to that kind of person because that kind of person can meet me eye to eye. 
I'm not lost in the crowd like so many were at the Jubilee things, hoping to catch a glimpse of the top of the queen's hat. In the presence of Jesus, I find I'm face to face. And he is, a, he is the one who, who reaches out to me rather than me straining to reach out to him. And so, rather than take my life in my own hands, as sometimes I do in these classic cars, seriously, I want to put my life in his hands, and I commend him to you. Let's stand and I'll pray. Lord God, I want to say thank you to you because... You have made it possible, as we said right at the beginning of this, this time, you have made it possible to come into your presence and call you Father. You've made it possible for us to lean into you. Whoever we are, whether we're a great success story or quite frankly, we're in need of some restoration. Lord God, you take all comers, high and low, young and old, fat and thin, black and white, you take us all, and you do it with patience and perseverance and great passion. And so, Lord God, at this moment, this time, on this Father's Day, we say thank you, Father, as we lean into you.